Chris Gribble is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Centre for Writing in Norwich. Scribble. Has scrib does Scribble come up often when people mention your name? All sorts of variations. I can show you everything across the years. I've had it all. <laughs> okay. Like what? Quibble? Quibble, bimble, dribble, bibble, uh, all sorts of weapons. Everything through to gerbils. I had it all. No, Jesus. Stuff, so. Okay. Well, I just want to get that out of the way. Now, you, uh, along with some others, set up the new writing partnership in 2006, is that correct? I think it was set up in 2004. Okay. Um, I arrived after it was set up, I arrived in 2006. Right. It was set up by a, a coalition of uh, Norwich City Council, Norfolk County Council, University of East Anglia, and the Arts Council of England. And then after a couple of years, I arrived on the scene. Okay. And it developed into the writer's Center Norwich, the literature development agency for the east of England, and then into the National Center for Writing, yeah. a national and international hub of creativity that supports early career writers and literary translators and explores the social and artistic power of creative writing for individuals, communities, and places. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you very much indeed. Lovely to talk to you. So this smacks of some kind of vision. Um, I think so. It, it, it's it's sort of it's been a a collective endeavour to realise something that was already in the air and in the history and in the partnerships of Norwich. I think I, when I arrived in two thousand and six, it took me a while to work out what made the city and the place tick, and and I think that that sense of Norwich as uh, a kind of a centuries-old home for people who use writing and storytelling as a means of radical dissent and change and revolution and social progress that slowly sort of emerged and it kind of coalesced around a number of opportunities over that period and kind of uh, felt it was very right, the time was right, that kind of um, literature and writing was at the heart of that, and I happened to walk into that environment with a set of conditions that allowed me to take a new writing partnership, transform it into Writers' Centre Norwich, and then create a National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall, and this amazing kind of 15th century merchants hall that we're now sat in in the middle of Norwich, hmm. which will be 600 years old in, you know, five years' time, four years' time. Right. I arrived here maybe a week ago, thereabouts, and uh, the reason I, I came to Norwich was because of someone called Dan Frid, who owns a bookstore in town and is involved in theatre here. And it turns out he was putting on a play, uh, he was involved in it quite heavily and acting in it, and it, it spoke exactly to what you're saying. It was all about social housing and the fact that it had its early start in, in Norwich. That's right, yes. It's uh, a play called um, the Mile, about the Mile Cross Estate. Yes, yes. It's a common lot of fantastic community theatre group. It was beautiful. I went and saw it as well. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. inspiring. The first purpose-built council estate in the country was in Norwich and uh, it was a 
very lovely piece of work. Yeah, and the, the music was all apparently was written for the play, yeah, and I, you know, it was just so catchy. And uh, uh, anyway, as I say, it's, it speaks to this uh, the, the this way of using art and entertainment to comment on mm. what's going on in society and try and change it. Is that what brought you to this field? Well, um, what brought me to Norwich was the job. Right. Uh, what brought me to literature was my love of books, and I, I, I went to university in Manchester. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be an academic. I started and completed a PhD, but I realised through that course that I kind of I preferred a different sort of professional life, a more kind of um, externally facing kind of way of living. So I then moved into publishing. I worked at Carcanet Press, all the country's right. leading independent publishers, uh-huh. under Michael Schmidt. And then I sat, uh, I started working at Manchester Poetry Festival, and I was working in the uh, creative, uh, the cultural strategy team at the same time at Manchester City Council across the Commonwealth Games and the start of kind of Manchester's uh, kind of renaissance under the original modern uh, branding. And then I set up Manchester Literature Festival and then came to Norwich. Um, and I just, I love... I love the power of stories and books and reading. That's it's uh-huh. kind of my my home art form, if you like. And what I've found in Norwich is, I think everywhere's got, a, you know, everywhere in the country's got its own sense of identity. But in Norwich, it's very clearly welded historically and in contemporary terms to this notion of kind of fierce independence of spirit, yeah. radicalism, um, social progressive kind of uh, bent. Kind of the university's motto is "Do different." Right. And there's, a, there's that sense. Norwich is, you know, when Dragon Hall was built in the 1430s, Norwich was England's second largest city outside London. But we've always been quite remote from London. Geographically, we're closer to Amsterdam than we are to London here. It's Even though you're only, you're only two hours train ride into London. 25 minutes in the air to Amsterdam. <laughs> And closer. It's a very, you'll see the French and the Dutch influence all through the city, the architecture and the street names. I think I even saw it on your wall there, that um, those lovely, colourful images of the Dutch. Absolutely. Half the population of the city was French-speaking in the 17th century. The uh, Huguenots and the refugees from the religious wars came over from the Low Countries they settled in Norwich. Um, they made a home here. This is a city that's had, you know, centuries of kind of waves of, of incoming populations from all over the world, and it's a bit of a melting pot. But because we're quite remote from mm-hmm. London, where you know you don't come here by accident. The next stop is the North Sea, as they say. We've had a little bit of that. The benefit of that remoteness is that we've kind of developed, or the city and the county has developed its own very particular culture and its approach, and that's included radicalism, it's included dissent, both kind of religious, scientific, kind of literary and cultural dissent has been a key sort of marker of, of Norwich and Norfolk's history. And that's what I kind of came into and had the great joy of discovering everything, you know, from Julian of Norwich, um, was a famous medieval mystic who... Uh, anchorite cell was about 50 meters that way just across the road and she was the first woman to be published in book form in English in the world. Marjorie Kemp who was from Kings Lynn not far from here who traveled through Norwich to visit Julian was the first woman to publish or to write an autobiography right the way from those days you know through to 
that we were the largest provincial press outside London all the way through to the 19th and 20th century. We, had, we were the centre for Bible printing. Um, the Hansard brothers were a Norwich father, uh -huh. Hansard family, Norwich father and son. Uh -huh. They were printers and they went to London and they published the proceedings of Parliament for the first time ever, the first time a de democratic process had ever been made transparent and available to others. It's all of that sort of history. Harriet Martineau was the first professional female journalist and an anti-slavery and uh, anti-prison reform campaigner. It's wonderful figures all the way through history that have come through Norwich. Um, no wonder you're a city of literature. Well, absolutely. And this is what we, this is the kind yeah. of, I, I took a while, it took a few years to put together the story and and everybody in the city, all the partners in the city and the county knew elements of the different stories. So they knew about Thomas Paine, for example, came mm -hmm. from Thetford and ah. he kind of knocked loose those first revolutionary stones that led to the American Revolution. And, you know, all, everyone knew bits of Norwich's story, Norfolk's story, but we sort of worked with the Writers' Centre and the partners to put it together into a really coherent narrative. And that's what kind of got us the status as England's first and the world's, at the time, the world's only sixth UNESCO city of literature. So it was about kind of really helping, you know, we didn't make anything up. We just nope. discovered and, yeah. and excavated and reoriented bits of the story to tell a, to tell a new narrative about why writing had been so central to Norwich's history. And that's kind of why we're here. So is that the power you're talking about? This yeah. idea of pulling little stories together and reshaping it into a strong, persuasive uh, narrative that may change the world? Absolutely, yeah. I think that stories are machines for changing minds. Right, ultimately. right. And that's their, their real power. So I, I sort of I often use the example of Anna Sewell, who wrote Black Beauty. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what what comes to your mind when you think of Black Beauty. Have, have you read Black Beauty or seen the film? Or yeah, I've probably done both a long time ago. I can't remember much of anything. But I, yeah, I do know that Gerald, is it Gerald? Gerald, yeah. The, that was the publisher of the, uh, and, and, and they're here. They are, yeah. So yeah. what's the one single impression that comes to your mind when you think of Black Beauty? Well, Black Horse. There's a pub I think we went to called the Black Anna Sewell, who moved here um, from kind of southwest of the country when she's in her 20s, and she wrote it in her last years in Norwich before she came in and died. But it was effectively, it was the first piece of animal liberation propaganda, a story that was about instructing, trying to warn against the maltreatment of cart horses and farm horses, and it was a, particularly a campaign to, use, to stop the use of a certain sort of bridle, which injured right. horses' mouths. And effectively, <laughs> that sold a million copies within two or three years of publication across North America, not in the UK, and it absolutely transformed the treatment of farm animals. It wow. was designed no to change people's minds and to improve yeah. the conditions. Now it's gone into kind of our folk legend as a quite a sentimental story about yeah. animals and girls and horses, etc. But it was a hardcore piece of uh, kind of behavioural change making that was very successful. And it just transformed kind of animal husbandry and welfare for horses across large parts of North America and the UK and Europe. That's fascinating. Yeah. And that's what a story can do. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I think I put in mind of uh, Uncle Tom's cabin. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm not sure I totally agree with the machine metaphor, but I suppose there's a structure to them and there's certain tools that you play with to, to yeah. get certain responses. Um, so what do you do then as a, a, a best practitioner? What, what do you do? What have you done that has enabled this organization to flourish the way it has? Well, genuinely not certain that, that I, I, I would struggle to call myself a best practitioner. I think I'm a, I'm a coalition builder and a partnership builder. Okay, so you're a best, you're a best practitioner in that field then. Possibly. <laughs> we created a narrative and a vision that understood and that they could see demonstrable benefits from being part of and that they wanted to support. We, we kind of... So what did you do specifically then? Like, what did they want to be part of? I think the heart of what we wanted to do, we wanted to look at three things. We wanted to look at the, the artistic power of creative writing and translation. What can it achieve? Now, it's about stories traveling. It's, you know, this, where we're sitting right now, it's a 15th century merchant's hall. Um, this was one of the centers of commercial exchange for Norwich in this part of England for 40 years. Since on the what used to be the main road to London, goods came in from Europe, bought and sold, trafficked into London, all around the world and across to Liverpool, etc. <laughs> we wanted to do was to make this a place of exchange for stories, to change commerce into a place for stories around the world from different languages, different cultures, different experiences and viewpoints, and make it a place of exchange to see how the travelling of stories could really change things. That's beautiful. That's when Margaret Atwood came here, she yeah. kind of, uh, she's one of our patrons, she said the guiding spirit of this centre is Hermes, the messenger god, yeah. and that's what we wanted to do. So we wanted to look at the art, we wanted to look at the social impact of literature, of stories, of creative writing, of translation, how it impacts communities, how people understand themselves, how writing and being part of creating narratives can transform your experience of your own life in terms of mental well-being, in terms of, for example, of recovery from addiction, in terms of social engagement and reducing loneliness. We do lots of work with lots of different community groups who use all sorts of writing and art forms to kind of address social barriers. Yeah. And then we want, so that was the second thing, was the art form, it's a social impact. And then we wanted to think about place, how creative writing, literature, stories, translation, the spoken word, form a sense of place around Norwich as a local space, as a national space, and as an international space, how we could become a city of literature, what that would mean for yeah. people who lived, worked, and visited Norwich, lived and worked and visited Norwich, how it might impact the visitor economy, how it might impact the educational provision at kind of at formal level, but also at our university level, and how we might make visible Norwich's rich past and its rich contemporary offer to everyone who lived in work and visited the city. So mm -hmm. it was basically the art form, it was social impact, and it was placemaking. And that's what we wanted to do. I told us when we were raising the money to renovate Dragon Hall and build an extension and create mm -hmm. a national centre yeah. of writing. I spent four years, five years, going around telling different stories about art, learning, and place to different people. So. Lots of people invested in the training of writers and translators and talent development and giving access were interested in the art form work. Lots of people interested in community development were interested in the learning and the community space. Lots of people interested in economic impact, in placemaking, competitive advantage for a city were interested in the place element. So that's, we, we found levels 
across those three things which a whole range of different partners could see the benefits of buying into and investing in and we brought them together under a big narrative arc of Unesco City of Literature, National Centre for Writing and Dragon Ball. So it really, uh, that's why I started off with this idea of vision. It sounds to me like what you did was you just wrote a really good persuasive story right at the start and, and reality has now caught up to that. That would be a really lovely, straightforward way of doing it. It's not true. It's not true. Okay. It adapts. Yes, yes. It's only when you look back. But as you say, the, the part of getting these partners involved and excited involves telling them a really powerful story. Yeah, and not just one story. No. That's why I vary between those art and learning right. stories, depending on who I was talking to. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether I was looking, because it's not all about money. A lot of it's about willingness and kind of just engagement. So money follows partnerships and follows relationships. So we never just went out and tried to shake people for money. No. We always tried to make them into partners and... Well, what, to show them how they could make money too, though? Well, not just make money, or, but achieve but, their own aims. Right. To kind of further their own interests. Yes. To kind of see the benefit accruing to what we've done. To get people to listen to their story. Yeah. 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 So I think, for example, there's an organisation called Norwich Business Improvement District. There are business improvement districts all around England that yeah. exist to support business development and economic impact for city centres. And Norwich's Business Improvement District, its branding is now Norwich City of Stories. Right. It's taken directly from our UNESCO City of Literature status. But what it does is it allows them to focus on five or six different story arcs. You know, they've got food, they've got culture, they've got... Um, entertainment, they've got music, they've got shopping, they've got visitor attractions. They tell these stories of what it's like to be in Norwich under this big brand of Norwich City of Stories. Mm -hmm. It became possible to say, okay, you know, the hardcore economic development people at the City Council might not understand what a UNESCO City of Literature designation can do for them, but if you catch it as a City of Stories brand and tell stories to kind of people who live in, work and visit Norwich, that transforms things. And so it allows you to can really make a flexible platform for people to tell the story of who they are and where they are in the world. And it's all about distinctiveness. And so, stand out from other places. It is, but you've turned it into a national centre. So, I mean, so you've got... Uh, you, you, that, that's us. That's not the city, the city of Norwich. No, no, understood. You, no, I know that. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it's... Uh, it's not about Norwich anymore than with the National Centre. <laughs> you no, know, it's here, it's place, but uh, that, that's the other thing is, uh, so, so what do you do with the National? How come it's not an, another city? How come it's here? And is it because of your persuasive storytelling about this being the, the yeah. place where it should be? The reasons why we wanted a physical space. Literature is not usually associated with physical venues because it's an art form that you tend to both practice and consume alone. But we wanted a venue partly because we wanted a physical space for people to come and appreciate what being UNESCO City of Literature was like. We wanted yeah. a physical space for writers. We had lots of residency partnerships. We did work with all sorts of partners, for example, in South America, in China, in Japan. And we'd often, they'd often say to us, well, can we come and do exchanges with you? We've got, well, we don't have anywhere to do that yet. And, yeah. and they'd say, which part of London are you based in? Uh, yeah. very, very, very north, northeast, east London. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd part of the government runs you. 
And so we thought, okay, well, we, we, you know, we've got these really relationships. We work closely with British Council around the world over the last yeah. 15 years. And we wanted, to, and there was no national organisation for writing as a whole. You know, there were a short, there's a national short story organisation, there's a national poetry organisation, but there was nothing for writing as a general art form. And we knew we needed, if we wanted, we needed to raise two and a half million pounds to make all of this happen. And we knew that we needed a really persuasive argument for that. And part of the argument was actually not everything should be in London. Not everything yeah, needs to be yeah, in London. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what do you do then? You tell stories and raise funds connected to those stories? Yes. Ensure that the vision and the mission of the organisation is achieved. Structures and processes are in place and working for the organisation to thrive. So I sit across... You know, I have a view of the program. I'm not the I don't, not the head of the program, but I have a clear view of it because I've done that job over the years. Right, right. Um, I'm not the head of finance, but I manage the head of finance. <laughs> I'm not the, I don't run the building, but I sit across the woman who does run the building and runs our commercial office to make sure that we earn money from the building. Um, so yeah, that's I, I effectively look outwards and kind of um, maintain, develop, and sustain the relationships that keep the organisation going. I have the kind of my executive director, Peggy Hughes, has a, a really internal focus on the management of the organization, the business planning, the operations, the capital development work, and I look outwards, where she looks sort of more inwards. Okay. So you, you love story stories and the power of storytelling. Uh, why else do you do what you do? Why? Um, it's given me a lot of freedom. Um, I quite like being in charge. Uh, it's only a small organisation, there are 17 or 18 of us, but it's given me a lot of freedom to do, to do things, to experiment. I've been very lucky. We've been able to uh, bring in partnerships and activities where we've tried a lot of new things. Like what? Like um, new programmes and new partnerships. You know, we've partnered with organisations that have done live promenade, dance and literature pieces across the city. We've done exchanges in China. We've become the UNESCO City of Literature. We've done work with all sorts of people and places. And, yeah. and it's allowed me a lot of latitude to do that. At the same time, I've been able to engage on a local, regional and a national level in the policy making around literature and the arts and culture, which I found really interesting. I like working at that level as well. So I sit on various boards and various panels, art and culture and impact of those things. And, you know, I've done all sorts of things. You know, I've sat on the appointment panel for the last Poet Laureate for UK, which was really interesting. I've traveled a lot, met some brilliant people, met some wonderful writers. Yeah, yeah. I had a very interesting... I've never been bored. Well, it sounds like you've sort of written your own ticket. Like the, way you've, the way you've built this thing. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. It's been self-authored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But just finally then, uh, listening to what you've said, I mean, it's self-evident. Why does what you're doing matter and how can it be replicated in other countries or other cities? Um, I think that what, what I'm doing is involved in supporting, making, transmitting, opening up art and the world of art to people in one form through literature. Yeah. It matters because it is one access point to the creative tools that helps define us as a species, 
that makes our life worthwhile, that is the guarantor of meaning. It's how we make meaning in the world, and ultimately meaning is what matters. Um, you talked earlier about spending a chunk of your career making money, and money's really important, but it doesn't mean doesn't make meaning. It doesn't make relationships. Mm. It doesn't it's not fulfilling. That's, that's the way I would put it. Because you know, there is no meaning. You, you have to build your own meaning. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between how you engage in the world, the things that you have to do, you know, things that you want to do, and mm. that you love doing, and get fulfillment. Yeah. Not everyone's going to be fulfilled and enjoy writing, reading, literature, translation. Right. I think understand that. But it's a massive way in for those people who do. And it's a transformative art form. Books are seriously the nearest thing to magic. Yeah. yeah. Literally open up two pages of data yeah. and flick on an LED screen and you're living in someone else's mind and universe. It's just magic. Yeah. So that's, that's why it's important. It's expanding your own, your own life, isn't it? It's, it's different ways of living. Yeah. And there's all sorts of allied benefits around health, well-being, economic impact, all community impact, etc. Those are great. Yeah. It's down to that amazing transformative story. I remember growing up, you know, I grew up in, an, oh, in a fairly deprived ex-mining village in the northeast of England mm. and kind of really not being certain of my place in the world. And, and I discovered literature and I was immediately just lifted out of that space and I could see a whole world of opportunities around me. And that's what I've kind of kept with me ever since. Yeah, you've done it brilliantly. Too. And how, how can we replicate it? I don't think it should be replicated. I think I think you can. Um, I think places are very powerful things, and they need their own solutions. And so you need to. I think. Sorry, that, that's the thing, though. You, you, yeah. But you, you're, the approach you've taken is to learn about the place yeah. and then write a very compelling story about it or stories. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, you, you've got you've got to be a bit lucky and things have got to align. Got to not take no for an answer. There's an old marketing saw that says it doesn't have to be true, it has to be true enough. And you've got to take advantage of that sometimes, and you've got to kind of allow sometimes the narrative flourish of fiction to <laughs> No, you've got to lie to tell the truth sometimes. Well, in fact, the, the, what you've done is you've seen these gaps. And you've, that's what a good entrepreneur does. They'll fill that gap. That's the need that's there. Uh, okay. So have you, have you developed some sort of uh, package that allows, that would allow places around the world to, to basically do what you did? I haven't developed a package. I think it, okay. it's virtually impossible, but I, I do quite a lot of, um, pro bono sort of consulting and advising places and people and organizations, which I'm very happy to do. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what, what we do. And also, we're, we're, it's sort of we're too busy doing what we do here yes. to think about packaging it. Yes. Well, it's really a joy to, to walk into this uh, reality of, uh, of, of your story. I mean, it's, here it is, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it does, it looks beautiful and very sort of Shakespearean with these arch, arches and Plastered wall. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's just very evocative, and uh, um, and congratulations on not only the work you've done over the last seventeen years, but you've you've uh, you've got a new position that you've uh, landed, right? Yeah. It's built in twenty two thousand and one. Okay. Glass building in the city, which houses its busiest public library, the BBC in the region set of restaurants and coffee shops and a whole set of public spaces where we host 
arts and science and other activities and events where people can really explore um, the world, learn something, be entertained, engaged, and it's kind of our region's kind of prime public space. A million people a year come through the doors in that building, so I'm very excited to go there and see what we might do together there. And just finally, then, so what's the difference between what you have to do there and what you did here? Um, there, it is a very much a building for Norwich, Norfolk, in the east of England. Okay. And it's about kind of providing and reaching out to and making the space welcoming for a million people a year who come and use it and explore the city. Mm -hmm. um, things are, it's a much more inbound kind of building-based world that I've got there, rather than this space, which is very much focused on the art form and has a regional, national, and international music. Right, okay. Well, it's about people and place again, and it's about art and culture, but it's just got a different focus. Well, that's uh, best of luck with that new, new challenge, and, uh, and thank you so much for, for talking to me about, about what you do and what uh, writer centers are, uh, are all about. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks for coming. Okay. I've been speaking with uh, Chris Gribble, who has been the chief executive officer of the National Center for Writing. Now, that was 2018 that that happened. Right, yeah. Uh, but prior to that... Uh, 2004 to 2008, it was New Writing Partnership. Then 8 to 15 was uh, Writer Centre Norwich and then National Centre Writing. So 17 years, yes, on Monday I'd be here. Very good. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay.